the Forever Young Podcast. There's a particular weekend that comes to mind. So obviously we watched tons of movies with our dad and with our mom growing up. They had different tastes, so they showed us different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one weekend, I want to say I was 14 years old, and my dad showed us uh, Reservoir Dogs Friday night. He showed us uh, Seven on Saturday night, and he showed us Shawshank on Sunday <laughs> night. And then I remember I was in bed that night, just thinking to myself, man, I wish I was born into like an artistic family. Because my mom's a teacher, my dad's oil and gas guy. Just no artistic endeavors for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh man, I wish I was born into a film family. I wish I could have done this. And then the subsequent thought was, okay, calm down. You're like 14 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Your life's not over yet. Yeah, um, Yeah, you got it pretty good. Both parents are on a payroll. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, in a first world country. <laughs> Things are decent. Um, so... My phone was being charged on the other side of the room. So I went to my notes tab, um, my notes app. Mm-hmm. I opened my first note and I wrote a down a film idea. And then I went back to my bed. And throughout the course of that night, I wrote down, like kept going back and forth from my bed to the other side of the room, wrote down 10 different ideas. Um, and that's how writing started for me. And then this earlier this year, I just passed my 6,000th film idea. Wow. on my note it's getting so big that my phone's starting to slow down now when I'm in that app it keeps crashing right. on me so every time you have a film idea you write it down I write it down notes. yeah and like, it's, they're not like full ideas yeah I mean some of them are but some of them are just like a feeling or a character right. or a shot idea or something like that but they all contribute to like a film idea how detailed is the note is it could it just be one sentence maybe some or? of them are one sentence yeah. some of them are the biggest one was 6,000 words I remember Jeez. I just sat there for like three hours I just typed furiously yeah um, and then also out of those 6,000, I have my good ideas folder. Okay. And in my good ideas folder, there's about 250 ideas that I've actually developed and, you know, thought about more than once. Yeah. Um, and then out of those 250, there are seven ideas that I just think about every single day. Mm. And that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm doing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and of those seven ideas, what are they kind of based around? Is it short films? Is it simply a script? Is it... They were, uh, it's, it's hard to say what I'm attracted to out of like 7,000, what makes right. one of them interesting or 6,000. I guess what I'm saying, are you drawn towards a specific theme of those, or are you quite diversified in your ideas? No, not a theme, not a genre. I think I'm, I think I'm drawn to like dramatic scenarios. Right. I think that's what is interesting to me. Totally. As a filmmaker and screenwriter, uh, you've likely encountered various challenges throughout your career. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of the creative process for you? Mm. It might even be simply be creating something. Yeah. And you do that at different stages. So I think the most rewarding thing that I've ever done was when I completed the screenplay for the short film that you saw. Yeah. It was the first time that I actually really fully completed a screenplay that I liked and that I knew I was going to go out and make. Right, from like the idea that yeah. maybe started your notes to execution to mm-hmm. being played. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because the writing, and I would say that was even more rewarding than seeing it in theaters. Really? Three times, so three, in theaters three times in the last week. Okay, which? Edmonton, yeah. Calgary, and then last night at the Globe. And you saw all three? And I was there for all three times. And that was very cool, especially at Calgary because there was a lot of laughing and audience reaction. Like yeah. whether people enjoyed it or not, at least they 
or whether people thought it was good or not, at least they enjoyed right. you know the ride for 23 minutes. Right. Um, but completing the screenplay, and this might come down to the process. So like it's all those note ideas. It's the seed of one of them where I've become obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. It's months thinking about it without writing. Um, and then it was like four months, day and night, 12 hour days, just writing that screenplay for wow. like four months. Wow. Uh, it was at the beginning of COVID, so I had nothing really to do. I was going to bed at 6 a.m. I was waking up at noon. I was writing again until 6 a.m. the next day. Um, my mom and I scheduled a crossover about 4 a.m. She'd make me breakfast. <laughs> and that's all I was doing. I was just writing. So when I finally finished that, it was like this weird sense of completion mm-hmm. mixed with like almost a little bit of deflation like mm-hmm. i don't know how to describe it other than that but yeah. it was weird well it's like it's a lot of work right to get to that moment and once you finish something it's kind of like okay you can breathe again mm-hmm. but that being said it sounds like you're pretty passionate about that process like as well and i think you have to be otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy for me that's everything the writing is everything okay and so i'm also in calgary the only person i've met so in the past couple weeks especially over sif um being invited to events and directors events and stuff like that i've come across like four or five i would say in terms of calgary filmmakers relatively big filmmakers Mm -hmm. like they've all had budgets in the half a million to over a million dollar range Mm -hmm. they've all screened publicly whatever some of them are on amazon some of them are whatever um, and none of them are interested in writing. They all kind of like, mm-hmm. just like directing, which also just doesn't compute for me. I have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand making something that I haven't written. Right. Some people look at like buy scripts, get something yeah. to write for them, yeah. become a ghostwriter, uh-huh. and just say, I can make this into a film, right? And they must enjoy that process. Yeah. But for me, on set, my job's like almost done. Once I've written it, once I've cast it, mm-hmm. All I have to do on set, in my opinion, or at least the way I approach it, um, is just be there to make sure everything's you know going down, make right. sure everyone's coordinating, communicating, getting along with each other, right? Um, and then just execute it. Hmm. What, in your opinion, makes a good film, and can a well-written script carry the film even when faced with limitations in cinematography capabilities and budget constraints? Yeah, I like that question. Hmm. Um, for me. What makes a good film? Maybe it's easier to start with what makes a bad film. Sure. And what I hate about a movie is where you know where it's going yeah. within the first 20 minutes yeah. or so. Yeah. Um, I would say that's my biggest criticism with many movies. Most recently, Barbie. A lot of people like Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I loved the half hour of Barbie. I thought it was so much fun. But the predictability after But then that, after that, yeah. it was like you knew exactly where it was going to go. Yeah. It didn't matter that it was kind of a fun ride in the middle. I knew how it was going to end. I knew all the character arcs. And right. I just was no longer interested in it. Right. Um, so for me, not knowing where a film's going to go is the most important thing. Because then it's really an experience and you're really there with it and you're mm-hmm. engaged. Mm-hmm. And then other than that, it's just if you can make someone feel something that they haven't before, even if it's little, it doesn't have to be profound, but if they feel something different, right. that's maybe my goal. Interesting. Yeah, there's been a lot of films that I've seen where, and it happens in a lot of low-budget kind of horror films, you know exactly what's going to happen, and it's just like, I can't get into this. Mm-hmm. So, And the movie that you and I saw, um, Red Room, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, every corner was like, what the hell is going on? And I wasn't even sure what that person was thinking. Like, there was a lot of internal conflict with all the characters. Yeah. But I was thinking the whole time. The wheels were turning. 
in my brain for that movie. And maybe that's why we liked it so much or part of it. Well, you're engaged for the whole time. Yeah. You never check out of it. Exactly. And that's my only, my probably my only criticism with Marvel. Like, I'm not someone who hates Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think they're great movies, especially some of them are really great movies. But it's just they have one movie. Right. It's the exact same movie every time. Yeah. And like when we watched Infinity War, everyone was like, oh, that one was different. Half the characters died. Yep. To which I said, no, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just one long movie. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> They're going to be fine. Yeah. And even, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the biggest thing for me. In terms of, um, can a, a good script for me, I honestly believe, and maybe like my approach to this is built on this belief, that the greatest film ever made could come out by pretty much anyone next year shot on an iPhone. Yeah. I which, know it's limiting. Yeah. But I think if the experience is there and the story's good enough, uh, I think that's absolutely possible. Totally. Um, and you're like leading into that, your first short film, Making Money in Manto. How is that? Manitou. Manitou, 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 Manitoba, premiered at the Calgary International Film Festival a couple of weeks ago. Uh, can you share some memorable experiences or lessons that were learned from that project given its significance in your career? And one more thing I wanted to say was. Um, you wrote that script, and then when you completed the project and saw it on the screen, is that something you envisioned in your mind? Like, did it look like how you thought it was going to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, when you read a book like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I saw the film, a lot of what I envisioned in my mind, like the dining hall, was exactly how I That's saw it. That's such a good head. example. How that I saw it in my yeah. head. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, they really captured that. Um, did you have that experience as well? Uh, okay, in terms of uh the value it was just everything because this was my first film it was my first time making a creative video mm-hmm. in general so i learned how to light i learned how to frame i learned how to kind of work with actors mm-hmm. who were not really actors right um i learned how to edit i learned how to sound design i will say out of all those things learning about the camera was relatively easy you could kind of pick it up mm-hmm. um but lighting was kind of tedious, kind of challenging. I spent probably the most time lighting. And the second thing I spent the most time on was sound design, mm-hmm. um, which is why I was really grateful that I had what's called a 2.0 mix. So two speakers, right, left. Yeah. And then when they needed it for the theater, I had to do a 5.1 mix. So five speakers plus the subwoofer. Yeah. And you need to have the six speakers to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I sent that off to somebody, and he did it professionally for me, and it sounded so good. Like converted in it. In theaters, he converted it, yeah. Um, so that's something that I realized I actually couldn't do. Like, it would actually take me years to be oh. able to do it that well. Okay. Everything else, you can kind of pick up. And this has been reiterated a lot. I think most famously, Robert Rodriguez, um, the guy who did El Mariachi, and yep. you know, he said in his book um, that you can pretty much learn everything you need to learn about filmmaking in a week. Wow. Um, and this, then it's just a story, which is the hardest part. Yeah. And I kind of believe that with the exception of like special effects, sound design, and then some of the more crafty parts like lighting on set where people actually have to like practice and right. be professionals. Right. Pretty and the second part was when you wrote the script, mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. pictures come up in your mind. Did it look like how you saw it in your mind or did it look completely different? I would say it was almost exactly the same, wow. almost identical. So I did all the storyboarding. I didn't even, wow. I didn't like the idea of drawing it out because to me that kind of just trapped me. I had the idea in my head and I wanted to go to set. So what I did do is before I invited any actors on any day, I would spend like a day to a full week 
um, doing the scene by myself. Hmm. Um, so I knew that I didn't want to waste their time. I had to figure out how to light it. I had to figure out how to move the camera if I wanted to move the camera. Right. Uh, I had to figure out all the camera settings, how I wanted it to look. Um, so by the time we got there, I was just kind of capturing it. Right. Like the work was pretty was, much done. Yeah. With you, the exception of I was open to the possibility if something new came up. You were okay with that. Exactly. If it benefited the film. Exactly. Hmm. And the way I write it too is I want to write it well enough that... Okay, so the general idea is you write it, but you can only write it so well. Mm. Once the actors come on, hopefully they're going to uh, contribute and make it better. Yeah. Once you get into the editing stage, they're going to make it even better. Right. That's the idea. Right. But when I was writing it, the mentality was, I want to write this as good as I possibly can, so that even if nobody contributes to it after that... It still holds up. It's not going to be a great film, because you yeah. need them to be a great film, but it could be an okay film. But you had the foundation there that exactly. it can only be built up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so huge. I did see, I saw the entire film in my head before shooting, and then I just simply executed that. Very cool. But it was two-dimensional, so that was the visuals. And so in terms of visuals, it looked the exact same. And then as soon as I was finishing the script, I started looking for music. I spent two months, that's all I did. Wow. I didn't do anything else, I looked for music. Once I found the music, then I could see it, and then I could hear it. Yeah. And then I was actually, without ever going back to listen to the music, this was a weird thing that I wasn't expecting. As I was shooting every day, I knew how to shoot it to edit to the music. Oh. And then I was shocked at how well I did. When wow. I got back into the editing room, it just fit the music perfectly. In your journey as a screenwriter and director, are there specific filmmakers or screenwriters who have had a prom uh, profound effect on your work? And if so, how have they impacted your creative process? The first one is everyone's first one. I think Tarantino gets most people into films. Yeah. Um, and then you go through a phase where you're just trying to make his films, which actually yeah. I think fucked up a lot of people from like, after he released Pulp Fiction, everyone's like, oh, I want to be the next Tarantino. Interesting. And so you see so many movies of people trying to copy that, that just doesn't work out. Right. That's his thing though, right? Like, I think thing. everyone's got their thing too. That's his thing. Um, maybe you can take a little bit from that and a little bit from, you know, Wes Anderson or whoever, yeah. and yeah. then you have your own thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's the goal. That really is the goal. Yeah. Um, and so I spent like a year trying to copy him and then I actually explored other people. And right now, in terms of writing screenplays specifically, my favorite writers are the Coen brothers. Yeah. Um, just because they approach it a bit in a non, in an unconventional way. Uh, they have a lot more freedom in their structure. Um, they're very good at writing things in a, just a concise, neat, yeah. easy to read manner. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. Um, and then in terms of filmmakers, there's just too many. But I will say the type of filmmaker I'm into. So there's a type of filmmakers who you can tell, um, I feel like you can really tell when there's like the vision behind a project and when there's not. Mm -hmm. So what would you say? How, how could you tell? You can just feel it. Can it's you? like an energy. Yeah. Like you can tell when someone just is a professional director and they did this as a job yeah. and you can tell when someone gave up everything just to make this movie. The Forever Young Podcast. David Fincher has a great, great quote. There's only two, people think that there are a million ways to shoot a scene, but right. there's only two and one of them's wrong, <laughs> which is a great quote. And, and the other um, way's right. And yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess the way that resonates with me is I was never interested, my thought process was never, how can I shoot this? The thought process was, okay, what's happening in this scene and how, does, how do I communicate it? Yeah. And so for, for it, that was like one of the only moving shots I 
opened up the table uh, in the middle. They're all sitting around the table. Yeah. The camera was in the middle. Yeah. And it was on um, a gimbal that I could control remotely that was rotating around them. Yeah. So like we were in the middle of the table. The food was around us. They were reaching over the camera, reaching right. next to the camera, and that was it. That was like you're in the brunch yeah. and there was no other way to shoot that. Yeah. So it's actually kind of easier when you write it from that mentality because there wasn't a single moment where I was ever confused how to shoot anything. Wow. It was only, I figured it out beforehand. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that is a testament that because you were involved in the screenwriting and it was something that you were passionate about and it was your vision, there wasn't that separation, right? Whereas maybe a director picks up the script. It'd be so much work. Like it's just, well, it wasn't your story. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what are you really saying here? And what do they really intend to say? The best adaptations are the directors. They'll go back through the script and they kind of make it their own. Even if the dialogue stays the same, yeah. they have to create their own rhythm for it, their own structure for it, what they show, what they don't show. Right. Um, and like the famous example, Francis Ford Coppola, he took the Godfather novel, put it in a binder. Mm. Um, and then he page by page went through what line he wants, what he wants to show, what he doesn't want to show. So they still have to make it their own, even right. if they're not the writers. Right, like a rewrite. For a really good film, yeah. Yeah. The world of independent filmmaking can be financially challenging. Uh, what strategies or approaches have you employed to secure funding for your projects and any advice for aspiring film filmmakers in this regard? And would you say Calgary is a good place for... This is a, such a crazy question. Is, is Calgary, you know... It's because a lot of the grants are controlled by the government, mm -hmm. both levels. Mm -hmm. um, how do we compare to Toronto? How do we compare to Vancouver? Or does someone got to move to the States and go to LA? Okay. So I've talked to so many people about this over the last week, and it was enlightening. Mm -hmm. When you compare Canada and the USA, in terms of big budget or even media, don't hold a candle. We've, like, we've wow. had like a couple famous directors, truly great directors, come out of Canada. Yeah. Notably, James Cameron. All right. Um, Denis Villeneuve yeah. and David Cronenberg. There are others. Yeah. There are a number of but others. Adam McGoyan. But those are the ones that like everyone knows. Yeah. I was talking with people in the States. At, our, at my level, the short film, very low budget filmmaking, they don't have grants the way that we have grants. Hmm. So every year, I can apply to Cowgirls Development for up to 20 grand or 15 grand. Okay. I can apply for Alberta Foundation of the Arts for up to 15 grand. I can apply for Canada Council of the Arts up to 60 grand. And every year, each of those bodies are going to fund 200 to 400 projects around every city, province, and the whole country, countrywide. Yeah. So they're actually creating a ton, a ton of low, low, low budget, almost mm -hmm. micro-budget content, mm -hmm. which is huge. Because if you're just getting started, like I'm just getting started, it, that's actually you a place door. to start. And you can build momentum, right? Exactly. Like once you get that first film, it's like, yeah. okay, I can build on this. Exactly. Right. Um, so that's actually a great opportunity. So for low-budget filmmakers, mm -hmm. I would even say this is almost like a more favorable situation. Right. Initially, when you said that, I'm like, oh, they should be giving more money and less volume. But now that you mentioned that it gets people in the door, I think cream rises to the top. So the talented people will eventually float. I 100% right? agree. So it's kind of like shotgun switched. approach and then what sticks yeah, exactly. are the talented exactly. who are passionate and persistent. Yeah. What's interesting then is you get to the next stage. So the next stage would be something like the Telefilm Talent to Watch program. Yeah. And every year they fund only 10 projects around Canada. I think this year there's more, but around 10. Yeah, give or take. Um, and they'll give you, I actually don't know the exact number, but it's in the range of like two fifty dollars to three fifty hundred thousand dollars 
yeah. to ten projects. I mean, it's so competitive. They're probably getting thousands of applications. Right. But there is also an avenue to do that. Yeah. And for people who don't get talent to watch, you can still apply to the bigger grants for more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get what's called a, a broadcasting license, you have something called a tax credit. What's a broadcasting license? Is that just your like they can distribute your work? So an example is CBC. They'll come in on your project. They'll be like, okay, we want to make this. We're going to give you 30 grand to contribute. Yeah. But once it's done, we're going to air it on TV. We're going to air it on our website. Right. Um, and that's what we're doing for a documentary yeah. right now that I'm working on. Yeah. Well, that's, um, a, that's a nice thing to have, isn't it? It is a very nice thing to have. Because they expose your work. Exactly. Through their channels. Exactly. And then once you have something like that, that kind of puts you in the hundred thousand, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar range. Yeah. Because they're gonna get you more funding. Um, you can still apply to kind of like the littler grants to help you out, but you also get a tax credit. And so this is something really interesting. If your film is over half a million dollars in Alberta, mm-hmm. or if you have a broadcasting license. Or if you have a broadcasting license, yeah, okay. You get a tax credit. And the tax credit changes but it's between 25 and 30% of every dollar you spend on your movie in Alberta, hmm. the government gives you 30 cents. Nice. For every dollar you spend, the government gives you 30 cents, 25 to 30 cents, basically. 30 cents per dollar. And so the reason this is important is for someone like me at my stage, if I'm thinking of doing like, let's say it's a $500,000 movie eventually. If I can get the telefilm, their, their bigger funding, and let's say they came in for, I think the max they can come in for is 49%. Okay. So they give you effectively 50% of your funding. The tax credit gives you 30% of your funding. You only have to nice. privately finance 20 cents on every dollar you spend. Right. So that's one thing I'm doing. I'm also writing my next film right now. Right. Yeah. Um, basic premise. So it's about a trailer. Yeah. The film's about a trailer. Yeah. And how it, the trailer observes three different couples that live in it throughout the course of like a decade. Yeah. Um, and there's multiple reasons I'm approaching it this way. One of them is I can kind of shoot it as short films and then I have a feature length project by the end. But two, what was really interesting to me is it's really the story of one, I'm kind of writing it as one couple and their romance, Mm. but then I'm splitting up into three acts of different couples and them coming together. I think it's just going to create a bit of a different experience. Totally. And so like the first couple is the different stages in a relationship. First couple, um, they're meeting each other, falling in love. The second couple, they are about to start a family and they get married. Third couple, they're kind of dealing with midlife monotony. The kids, they moved out of the house um, and they don't know what to do with themselves, which is kind of something I somewhat observed in my parents, just because you dedicate all your time to your kids, what's left. Right. You have to kind of rebuild that relationship. Your identity too, right? Yeah, your identity. You know, it's tied up in your kids, tied up in this. And then maybe at some point, if they leave down the road, it's like you really start questioning well, who am I? Because mm-hmm. right? you tied up your self-worth, maybe, and your purpose with something outside yourself. And that's it. That's the idea. And then it kind of ends with like the death of the couple and the rebirth and yeah, whatever. Mm, very cool. Well, that would be exciting. So that's the general idea. I can approach it as short film, so I can produce it as short film, so right. it'll be cheaper for me to make. Right. And I can kind of take my time with it as well. We still approach films from like the studio perspective when you have like an army behind you doing so many different jobs at once right um so my short film it was a crew of one person yeah and so from a small budget perspective i think it just makes sense to crew down because one you're spending less money that's probably the biggest expense yeah. all the people that you have to pay right 
But number two, you get to learn about every job and do every job, yeah. which is so important if you want to ever get to the next stage because you have to be able to talk to everyone who you're working with. Yeah. So doing it is invaluable. Like that's that that's the mentality for when you're like a big you know big boy filmmaker, big girl filmmaker. Right. That's not the mentality for doing things right now. Yeah. What we should be focused on is making things tough on ourselves so we learn. Yeah. And figuring out, especially now, like I shot this on my phone, the new camera that I bought. Um, and what's the camera was, called again? So that's it's a Blackmagic uh, Pocket 6K Pro, right. which is like a relatively cheap cinema camera. I think it's like four grand or yeah. three thousand five hundred bucks. But like Better Call Saul used that as their B camera. Right. And that was, I mean, that looked like any feature film to me. Yeah. I saw on Netflix, exactly. right? I'm like, this is great. Exactly. And you would not be, and I actually know people um, who shot on that camera that I have over there and a lens in that case who shot a feature <laughs> film for 600 grand awesome. and Netflix offered to buy it. Very cool. So with stuff like that. It, that's the kind of day and age we're getting in though, right? Exactly. Like <clears throat> you see it across the industry, like. People are their own music studio. People are their own film studio. People are doing their own thing, right? With podcasts, with interviews. You can buy a computer that it can handle this type of footage for relatively cheap. It's bridging the gap. It's yes. bridging the gap. For the big filmmakers, they can rent out an Alexa because they have the money and it means nothing to them right. for their $100 million budget. Right. But for us, we can have a $3,000 camera and make something that's Netflix approved and that people are going to be willing to purchase. Right. All right. Yeah. Very cool. So summing all this up, what I'm interested in is with the new opportunities available to us, with more well-rounded, talented people, mm. um, how much cheaper can we make movies for? And approaching it from a different perspective. So I just looked this up. Nomadland, directed by Chloe Zhao. Mm -hmm. It was a crew of 36 people, one best picture. Mm. But you want to get into really crazy stuff? Um, Shane, what's his last name? Shane, whatever. His, uh, he made um, Primer. Mm -hmm. He, this is a funny side story. Um, he made a movie about time travel for 7,000 USD in the year, I think it's 2000. I think it was the year 2000. And so it he made the won. film in 2000? He made it in 2000. 2001. Um, for 7,000 USD. Yeah. A crew of five people. It won Sundance, the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance Film Festival.